Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Okay, welcome to the latest edition of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. And we've got not one, but two coaches on this edition. I'm delighted to say Mark Gellard, joined by Piotr Szczepotowski. Piotr, a warm welcome to you. Okay, how are you? Very well. Thanks so much for joining us. We brought you in as a second professional tour coach. Uh, you're the current coach of Shelby Rogers, the USA player and former coach, of course, of Iga Swiatek, and together, well, you took her to a major title at Roland Garros back in 2020. Do you uh, have great memories of those times? Mm, I would say maybe not great, but good memories. Like you, we always like to win, so winning is a great <laughs> thing in sports. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's a good memory. Mark and I have had some great conversations after Magda got to the semi-finals of this year's Australian Open. But it truly does change your and the player's life, doesn't it? Did you find that after Roland Garros 2020? I would say life in Poland, yes. Like, as we are both from, from Poland, it was totally different and the perspective changed a lot. Uh, everything on tour, of course, changed. But that was something you can really expect if you dive deeply into it. But it's difficult to be prepared to it. Even if you know it's going to happen, you're never going to be fully prepared, fully ready to, to, you know, like maintain the person you really are at everyday basics and then doing exactly the same on the tour. So, so yeah, but in Poland, like at this time, imagine that was COVID time. So everybody was in masks and even people in the shopping malls were uh, like, aware who am I and asking for photos. So for coaches, like that's a big thing. And it's sometimes it's just too much, you know. Is that why it was good and not great? Or is there another reason? I would say good. It's not about great. It's like we cannot just make winning being something good sometimes losing is not worse than winning and it's just difficult if we just jump from high to lows every single time it's the life gonna be miserable because we are losing almost like 50 weeks of the year and winning probably uh, you know like best best years you're gonna win one or two three maybe ten some players but it's like it's reserved for special ones so being too too happy after winning is like for me giving too much emotions and it's like you're losing a lot of energy of course you have to celebrate this is really important and i think players forgetting about it taking time off celebrating with family having good time but for me it's never like a great time because we have great time doing what we do doing what we love and what we enjoy so it doesn't really matter if we're winning or losing you know this guy's he's a famous guy now, this coach. I mean, he's a Grand Slam winner and he says he doesn't get excited. It's tough with all the pictures being taken. I mean, tough, tough problems for you. Is this the same problem, Mark, you had after the semifinals? Inundated. I mean, I had to hire a secretary to deal with my fan mail after making the semis. There's, there's lines of girls outside the house desperate for pictures with me. Um, Is it? I'm coming then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and is this secretary mark um your mother by any chance yeah she's i, th I thought she was our only listener up until now so <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything mark that you would like to ask piotr having i know you guys are good friends but obviously now you've done really well at, at a major as well 
Uh, do you guys sort of chat during tournaments? Do you talk about the intricacies of life before and after success? For me, one of the great things is talking to Piotr is that he's he's a very, he's young, he's open. He wants to learn and get better. And he's the exact kind of coach that we want to have on the tour. This is a guy that is always trying to figure out things and do better, which is great. And it, it opens a lot of healthy discussions between him and I, um, even if we have disagreements on where things are going. I think, you know, one of the things I, we've talked about, Piotr, is, is sort of knowing that balance point, which we struggled with this year, of when things are going well, do you keep pushing? Do you keep the momentum going? I'm winning. Let's keep that good feeling. Or do you pull back and take more time off, play less events, get more comfortable? Because obviously with Iga, we just did a, a calculation at Wimbledon that I think she's playing, you know, 17, 18 tournaments a year maximum. Whereas, you know, Magda is always in the top, you know, she plays a lot. We're always in that 28, 30 range. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, even if you look how we schedule this year, last year with Shelby, like I'm a fan of playing way less. And maybe not because I'm not looking for momentum, how we call it, because we cannot really talk about peaking seven, 17 times in a year. So it's not even a, a case, but I would call it like to finding the rhythm to feel good. I don't truly believe in feeling good. Like if that's something you're looking for, you're never going to find it and you're always going to be disappointed because like if we ask great champions from the past, they never really played well at the beginning of the tournaments they won. And the perspective for me changed only after the tournament. When they win, they feel like, oh, I played well, but not when they actually been in a competition. So for me, that momentum feeling is not something we're really looking for. I'm more looking for the mental attitude of going for to win, not going to play. And I love the story from my friend who worked, I don't know if it's official or not, but he was helping uh, in a federal team, but not with Federer. He was helping with his kids. And he said to me, I asked him, why you play so little? Like, why don't you play every week? And he said, because I don't play if I cannot win the tournament. And that's really hit me like, whoa, that's the approach. He didn't feel like he can win five matches in a row, seven matches in a row in a Grand Slam. He wouldn't go. Yeah. And that's the feeling I would love to cultivate in a player I work with. Because just going and getting money for me is great because it's job and job opportunities are missed if you don't play and you're not collecting points but on the other hand you don't build that confidence and i feel playing less and as we spoke with mark it's more from the young age because if you everybody is different and at the age of 30 it's way different to change that it's difficult there are some habits which are already created it's not that easy and you have to find a way but for me always taking care of the body taking care of like self-being because it's nothing else because it's not about feeling good on the court we're never gonna feel good there players are perfectionist i never saw anyone feeling good before the grand slam and like feeling that confident that it's going to be great. And we have great examples even of Djokovic in Roland Garros, Djokovic in Wimbledon. I know he didn't win, but like he said in the interview, 
after winning Roland Garros that he was tough for his team. He was hard on them. Why? Because he didn't feel it. He didn't feel good. And in the end, he won. So, of course, his perspective going to change how we turned over me feeling bad into winning the tournament, which is great. So how are you building confidence if you're working with players? How are you, if you're not going to do it through winning matches? You know, if you go and take two, three tournaments and she loses first round, your player, whoever it is, you're going to... What if... Yeah, I know know what... You've only got 15, 20 tournaments in a year. You only have that many kicks at the can to do well. If you lose five, 10 first rounds, confidence is down and you've only got 10 opportunities left. So I know what you're saying... But there's yep. a balance because Federer is, I mean, they showed the statistic in the final last week that I think this is the first time in something like 20 years that Federer, Murray, Novak, or Roger, was that, uh, who did I miss? Uh, Rafa, sorry. Before, didn't yeah. win those top four. One of those wasn't the winner. This is the first time. So Federer is, I know what you're saying about Yeah, we, we, we are, we are talking about zero, zero, one, you know, like, and we put those guys at, point one and the other players at zero but i think there is a lot of gray colors in the middle so like i said that's why if i start working with somebody who is 30 years old i cannot change it straight away because they have some habits so it's something which is cultivated since the young age and if you ask iga she didn't play at a lot of a lot of tournaments when she was young she was playing the same amount like 12 13 14 but anywhere she went she was winning or mm-hmm. getting to the finals and those first round losses were like not significant at all because she always played like above 50 matches a year so i would more focus on matches than actually tournaments but as you mark said it all depends on the player and if you are losing then why you shouldn't play but on the other hand and this is great question to us as coaches even you losing maybe it's time to relax maybe it's time to re-evaluate instead of going to the next one because how you can change your game if you are losing how you can change your mindset maybe that change is not in a tournament it's outside of the tournaments but but if you if you were if you were running a bakery that's your company as a bakery and you're not doing business isn't doing well you're not selling as much as you could your your expenses are high so you're losing right you're not doing mm-hmm. great you're not going to shut down your shop on sunday and have a day off you're okay, going to open up I... an extra day and you're going to extend the hours you're going to work what what are you, opening what, at six, what are... you're going to open at 5 I agree, but what if the case was that you're saying selling croissants for two dollars, and you think, oh, that's I'm losing on those, and then you see, like you have no idea what to do, and instead of reducing the price, you go higher, and then you have different result than you expected. <laughs> like uh, it's like you you have a bakery and there is so many tools inside the bakery to make more money and we don't even realize that there are the tools so i don't think it's like that's the only tool i agree with you there are players who are gonna be more successful if they play more matches even they lose they try they they find a good win but that's what we spoke about like you are, for example, number 50 in the world, you're losing in thousands events first rounds, and then you go to 125 just to win. What's your mental feeling 
then. I feel like when you go there, I'm not talking as everyone. Everyone is different, but a lot of players will go, will be number one seeded. So losing in a tournament will hurt a lot. Losing mm-hmm. confidence. If you win, you are you, you don't feel accomplished. You feel like, come on, I was number one seeded. I supposed to win. So this is like for me, you know, it's circling back. We have to like stand up, like go out, see a big perspective, reevaluate what we are doing well, what we are not. And if the answer is I'm healthy, I feel great about my tennis. I just lacking in a little bit of luck or a little bit of momentum, then why not to go? But if we reevaluate and we fight some, find some flawless, like I feel pain here, I'm tired, I don't feel my serve. Like it's not about feeling great, but, but I, I'm struggling I, I, with technique. I don't, I don't yeah. disagree with you on that. I just, I, and it's a balance. And that's the question. I don't have the answer. I definitely take the, the, the idea more of if, and, and it's, it's burnt us this year. My mistake on that is run with the momentum when you have it. For example, if we're on the court and we're doing an exercise with a player, for me, there's two kinds of coaches, right? If we're working on a slice back end, some coaches do it until the player gets it right. And they go, great, mm-hmm. the player's got it. Let's go work on something else. My my think, thought process, my philosophy is I'm not going to do it till you get it right. I'm going to do it till you can't get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I'll move to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it comes back again a little bit to the, if my mentality is always to keep working you know, like I said, the bakery analogy, let's open the, let's make the shop open longer. I'm going to work harder. And for me to go, I'm struggling. I'm going to take some time off now. It is counterintuitive to this okay. being a business for the player. Now I'm not saying that it is a business in it. There's the mental aspect. It's not the same as running a bakery, but just playing uh-huh. devil's advocate here. Where's your separation? Because and then let me last part of that. Sorry, Candy, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm 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 talking here, but Eager would be what I would call her quite talented, but you would know better than me. But then before you answer that, what's your definition of talent? I wouldn't say she is talented more than any player on the tour top one hundred. I would say that every like every let's call it. At every step of her career, every like period, the environment was creating a champion. And it wasn't her who was deciding to do this. But I give you an example. When she was younger, we went to first, at this time, ITF 10K tournament. And she went through the qualies, won the tournament, first try, uh, 10K because she asked me what to do to get on the list. And I said, you have to play three tournaments and collect points in each of them. And she said, why I cannot do this with one? I said, you have to win. Because that was the time when you had to win one 10K event to get on the list. Okay, so she said, I'm going to do this. And it wasn't like dreaming. She saw how the players are playing. She said, okay, I just need to focus and go and fight for every ball. And this is like, for me, really important, like about the bakery. I'm lastly really inspired by Mike Menser, who is, 
actually bodybuilder who, who was bodybuilder, but he it's not the sport we're talking about, but about the philosophy he had, which is why we start with certain amount of sets to produce certain results instead of starting from zero. Like then we go one set, try, see the time it works. If it doesn't change it, go higher. We always have some imaginary like beliefs from the past, from other players, from other coaches, from everyone on the, let's call it on the tour, who's saying, okay, you have to work this one hour. But what if you have to work less on that to be better? Why? Because aerobic system and anaerobic system are two totally different things. And like you cannot go intense and long. Both of those are like opposite. So either you go intense or you go long. So that's what I'm saying. Like even with the tournaments, why not going less but giving more effort? Why building in mindset that, okay, I'm endurance athlete, so I'm going to do 20 tournaments instead of doing, okay, I'm the one who is going every single time, doesn't matter what the draw is, and I'm going to crash it. You know, like that's the mentality we are creating and it's environment for me. It's not you as a player. It's people around you who are believing in you, who are not telling you you are the best in the world because it doesn't work that way. It's the people who don't care about if you are winning, losing. They care if you are improving. They believe in you like they have strong fundamentals and you know that they believe in the right things and you're starting to believe them. So it's like, of course, it's a really broad topic and we can discuss it in every different way. But for me, the only question is if we are talking about how many tournaments we're playing is, did we try to play 10? Did we try to play six in our lifetime? Did we try to play two a year? We didn't. Most of us didn't. So I'm not saying playing 20 is wrong. I'm saying nobody ever tried playing less. Yeah. And right now is Iga or in the past even Naomi Osaka who played way less than everybody else and they were really successful. So there are great examples of that, that even at the young age, you don't play a lot of tournaments, you're getting great results. So what if we just answer ourselves as a coaches, as a players, maybe it might not work, but there are great examples, so why not to try going that approach and not looking for good draws, going and like, draw doesn't matter because I have just two chances. I have to take it. I don't care. I go and I'm going to fight for every single wall. And that's simple as that. And, and I know it's simple explanation. Piotr, have you always had this mindset or did you have a mentor when you were younger that gave you and... Uh talk through this philosophy you know like i think i re-evaluated a lot of things which were natural or natural for ega after we finished cooperation like that's what you might call talent i wouldn't call it talent it was like having good approach in a good time of life as a kid sorry let me let me jump in for a second but before you go because i'm very interested in your situation with ega because She's the best in the world. And you've been with her for so long. You had a huge part of her development and her success. You weren't the the, the, the coach when she was young that she, she then left. You were with her young and you were with her winning Grand mm -hmm. Slams. So you went through both. But uh, for me, talent 
is very simply how quickly you learn something. That's it. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's for me talent. Mm -hmm. So if you and I, I've talked about this in the past, maybe on here, but if you and I take a piano lesson for the first time with the same teacher, and it takes me one hour to learn the very basic first song or whatever mm -hmm. it is you do, whereas you take five hours, well, you could argue I'm more talented in piano than you. That would be my definition of talent. So based on what you're saying, you're saying that would be, now, because I haven't taught eager, I can't really say that. I'm judging it based on what I've observed. You've been with her. But when you say she's as talented as other players on the tour, you think she's no more talented. Mm -hmm. What do you mean then? What, what, are, you, what are you judging? I, I, think, I think it's not about talent. It's about treaties you have, like genes you have, which might be called talent, but I wouldn't call them that way. Because it's, again, let's come back to the simple thing. If you are short, you're not going to play basketball. Sorry, you don't. If, if you are short, you're not going to play volleyball. If you are big, you're not going to be Formula One driver. Simple as that. So, of course, tennis is more relaxed. Like, we can have way more diversity in players. But still, they have some treaties in common which makes them better than the other people. And for sure, Iga has those treaties at the highest level possible. Like, I would agree with you that she is explosive naturally as nobody else. But I wouldn't call it talent. It's not about how she learned. How she learned, for me, is created like by her environment whole life. Even simple things which we right now would consider bad, like, imagine that you have a player, this is her example, but you have a player who doesn't have money and you can spend with them only five hours a week on the court because there are not enough resources to make it more. And you cannot invest as you, as Mark Gellert, you know? So what you do, you do five hours the best as you can. So instead of creating hours which doesn't matter, you try to make every hour matter. So this is like, I would say, okay, it would be great if she had seven hours a week, but she didn't. And she is where she is. So maybe she found minimal hours she had to do at the right time in the right situation. And that's luck. And that's what I would call talent, like finding that balance, like you called lucky time to actually develop as a player. But I think it's more like, I'm not, I'm never saying, guys, I'm never saying that you have to practice less. I don't know. Maybe you have to practice more. But we always should be considering both things. Mm -hmm. Like, we never should consider only, we lost a match, so maybe, so tomorrow we go and practice more. That's a great approach. But more doesn't mean more intense. So we have to ask ourselves if we value more volume or we value more intensity, what we actually need. So... This is like, really, you have to find a balance, but it's really for me in the roots of coaches to always say, oh, let's go and let's do more volume, 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 because we feel like we work more. Because if you go to the gym and you work out 10 minutes, you feel, you feel like you did nothing. So that's why that strange feeling is difficult to overcome, to actually go on the court and do 30 minutes extremely in intense. But in her case, being limited with money, being limited with resources, courts, coaches in the past, 
for me, it was great gift, but not from certain, you know, like I, I wouldn't call it, uh, I don't know, God or whatever, luck. It was just environment which created opportunities for her to improve. And I'm not saying you could, you can do this differently, but everybody is a little bit different. But in the end of the day, everybody has to eat. Everybody have to sleep. Everyone have to have, like, we have all those things in common. There are treaties which are better in some people than others. Mark, I'd like a response from you and then we'll move on to our next subject, if that's okay. Great. No, I think it's a great answer. Um, I suppose I have one, one, I'd like to ask this question to coaches and I talk to them because I like to get their thoughts. If you were working with a player right now um, and I gave you a junior player and I said, okay, there's five qualities that I can offer you, but you can only have four of them. And these are the options. The one is that they don't have parents that are really involved. You don't have the difficult parents, right? Which are so common in junior tennis, especially. We don't know what you mean, Mark. <laughs> parents aren't involved. They have financial backing or money. They have talent. Now, we've talked about talent, so I wanted to put that in there. They're a very good natural competitor and they work hard. There's five qualities there. And for me, I don't know if I've ever seen, I don't know if that's that unicorn exists where you have all five. But of those five qualities, which are the most important to you? How would you prioritize those from, so hard work, good competitor, talented, has financial, okay. uh, you know, what if, and parents. What if, I, uh, what if I ask you one question about hard work? Does it mean hard work that you don't want to do the job or what is hard work? How we understand it? Are we just willing the, the, to the, do more? The, no, 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 no. So the player is a hard worker, right? They're okay. going to do whatever you ask of them. They're going to give everything. Okay. So got. I give up on that. You don't want I that. give up. That's, that's I don't not need important that. Yeah. to you. No, not at all. I <laughs> see so many players who are like Nick Kyrgios mm-hmm. and they are successful, but I don't show me players which part sorry in what way is he successful sorry like he's top 20 player i'm I'm not talking about rankings right now but he is successful as he's get he got to the top of the game wimbledon finalist exactly he like i'm not saying i would would argue with you on that i i would argue with you on that i I, the guy the guy's clearly talented because he doesn't have to put in as many hours of work to achieve what others have to so he's clearly talented and to this say is he's a question. success, Maybe. I don't think he is. I think he's a massive failure. This is a okay. guy that is not achieved even close to what he should have achieved. So he's. this is an example for me of a guy who you take those five qualities when he's a kid and you go, this kid, you've already failed this kid because you've told me you wouldn't have hard work in there. And that's the one quality he's lacked to get himself. So, so that's that's my question. Why uh, big? company like even not big companies but you hear about billionaires who are saying they prefer to hire somebody who is lazy why because they will find a way to do the work quicker and for me <laughs> laziness is opposite of hard working that's totally opposite and i know for example with Iga um, again she never wanted to actually practice longer and she always was looking how to make it more intense and practice less. I wouldn't call it hardworking. I would call her 
you know. when you when you when you're working for a company i think it's different because if you ask me figure out how to clean these windows as quick as possible that's my job for the day well maybe i i hire i sub hire somebody else to come and do it for me and pay for that or i create some device which cleans the windows quicker that's efficient and hard work okay so right? so but in tennis it's not doesn't work the same way in that respect because on the other side of the court there's always an opponent working against you there's no person okay. working against but you but what my... mark if if <clears> i <throat> ask you we work on serve and you have a player who gonna work 20 serves and he gonna serve great because he will say i don't want to work more but he serves great mm -hmm. and then you have somebody on the other side of the court who spent thousands of like hit thousands of serves and he's not improving why wouldn't you try what the other guy is doing i'm just working. asking about sure working. what you mean to do less like i'm talking about because what quality for me hard worker is somebody who is trying to do more more intense and like trying to do more and i'm not saying you are not right with nick who for sure missed a lot of stuff in his life in tennis life where he could improve instead of like he did some stupid shit. but uh i'm talking about like i see a lot of players who are not hard workers and are at the top of the game i see not a lot of players whose parents weren't involved at certain amount of time in their lifetime to get to the top i don't see them because if you don't have this crazy support you're not gonna go there you have to have they have to have crazy beliefs to get there and i actually appreciate if there are there are crazy parents hmm. then fin without financial support i don't feel you can get any chance to play that let, let me let me just last rebuttal before i i, I want to give give it over to candy as well but what you said there about there's some players at the top of the game that aren't hard workers okay i i give you that i agree but you know there's also people sometimes when you look at statistics of a match and they say you know many times or not many times but sometimes federer for example has won matches and won fewer points than his opponent and you say mm -hmm. do you see you can actually win a match having won less points and that is a true phrase but it's still it's still wrong in that the majority of the time the player that wins the most points is going to win sometimes very very seldom that can happen where you win less points and win the match what you just said i agree but that is the minority there are a few at the top of the game yes. that are very very i don't say lazy there's no one lazy but they're not hard working but that's the minority we're talking about but, two or three percent so here. so that's what i'm saying like for minority it's it works so i'm saying Show me somebody whose parents weren't crazy on the way to get there. Like, show me someone. There's not very many, are there? You have to have so a driving force, especially on the women's side, in my opinion, especially when they're young, because the parents are the will of the player until the exactly. player has a will of their own. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly, yes. That's yes. 100%, and, and I don't so, disagree. So, so, so we spoke parents, yep. Then we spoke about financial support. I don't think you can play without money. Like you have to have at least some financial support. If you are without money at all, you're not gonna do this. It's impossible. Okay. Then we have competitiveness. Then, How good a competitive? Competitive. 
show me somebody who is not competitive at the top level. Everyone is. Okay. Then talent. then talent, like that's what I said, treaties for me are important. And maybe I would say Diego Schwartzman in men is, you know, someone who is like unlucky. But on the other hand, I never saw anyone who runs that fast being so short. So yeah. that's some treaty he has it's in exchange. But on the other hand, Israeli Opelka, who is super tall and not moving that fast, you know, like there are treaties that those talents are different for me. And then hardworking out of those five for me would be the least important because I see some, like you said, minority of players who don't have that. So fair enough. So you're looking, Piotr, it looks like as you'd rather do less work, but do it more intensely. You'd rather play fewer tournaments and win more matches. Is that about right? That's a good synopsis. I, I, I cannot say that because playing less tournament doesn't mean winning more matches. That's true. But work smarter, not harder. But I think everyone wants to do that, even if you work longer. It's more about like asking question why we didn't try at the beginning. We tried in the middle. I mm. just want to go like I want to consider both directions going back with like reducing or increasing. Find your way, but ask yourself two questions, not one, how we do more. Ask yourself how we do less too. And this is for me the great balance of if you are able to find it for yourself, you're going to get to the top of the game for yourself. I think a lot of players are over because that's the mentality right now. I don't see a lot of players who are under-trained at this level. Most of them are over-trained. Maybe we have some examples of players who are getting a little bit older. Even, for example, this year, Petra Kvitova, who plays great this year. But she practiced way less than she was in the past. But, and she's probably under-trained right now. But she's been winning big tournaments. Exactly. And she's beating players. So right now, okay, let's look at the big picture. Okay, in the past, she was playing a lot and winning a lot. But right now, she's playing less and still winning a lot. She's a player of such quality and experience. If it's, I always say to myself, I said, if I was taking a penalty shot against a Premier League goalkeeper, would I rather you say to me, if, for a million dollars, you got to, you score a goal, you get a million dollars. Would you like 10 attempts or would you like five? I, I would much prefer to have 10, please. But if you score one, yep. Just need to score one, but would you rather have five opportunities to score one or 10? I'd prefer to have 10 because I'm going to have more kicks at the can. I don't have a clear answer on it because I think it's so individual to the player, the circumstance. I mean, Ego plays half the number of tournaments that we typically do, but plays double the number of matches. Right, because every time she plays, she's typically in the semi-finals or winning it. Whereas we might play five, six, seven during a year, which count for a quarter of our total events, and we've lost first round in those. So, did it count as a tournament? But then you're factoring in so many other things because I look at number of matches when I look at our schedule at the end of each year, and also number of tournaments because the the eager has the advantage by winning tournaments or doing very well. You're reducing your traveling. You know, and that's a huge yeah. part. Different surface, that's different The most important, probably. And that's the hardest. Exactly, that's the hardest part. Is is the mental fatigue of losing, mm. getting on a plane, flying out the next day, arriving at a new place, starting your practice again, different court, different balls, different environment, altitude, whatever, and then playing again. Whereas you know, staying on one surface or one tournament is is simpler. So it's a complicated yeah. question. I think we could be here all day with that one. 
Piotr, yep. is Shelby Rogers your player now on board with playing less tournaments? Yes, absolutely. But I would say it's just different stage of the career when you are more managing the stress level and you're more managing healthiness over actually results. And I don't think it's about only about playing tournaments because you can, for example, skip the tournaments but still practicing seven hours a day and it's still a lot of, a lot of stress on the body. But we are, as we are talking about managing the scheduling, for sure, she's on the side of doing less, but giving more in those shorter amounts of time. So it sounds like you and Mark agree that the traveling is the most stressful part of being on the WTA tour. Absolutely. And I wouldn't even consider that as traveling. I would consider this as a chaos. And of course, sometimes it's a little bit structured because we know where we're going, but we don't know when we go. We don't know how we go. We don't know how we cannot prepare for it. We cannot, for example, if you have Olympic Games once every four years, you can start preparing yourself. If it's hot environment, you can start doing sauna sessions. There are procedures you can implement at home just to get ready to go to, for example, Tokyo and be better prepared i'm not saying it will change a lot but it will help you we cannot do this we can be cut off guard totally and we'll be in a, on a plane in 10 minutes and we don't know it you know like then we didn't know it 10 minutes ago so Several yes. years ago on that point we were in china and i wasn't working with magda at the time although she was training at our academy i was helping another girl in nan chung at the wta Magda arrived and she had another coach in the academy at the time and she arrived and we were talking and it was the States the week before the Olympics started, but she hadn't got into the Olympics. So she was real disappointed about it. And I saw her when she arrived at the hotel and she was, you know, she was going to be the, I think the one seat. Well, a couple of hours later, I see her again and she's sitting in the lobby looking real concerned. And I asked her what was wrong. And she said, I've just got into the Olympics and you know, it's such a long flight. I'm in China. I've got to get to Rio. I've got to be there. My match starts in three days, blah, blah, oh. blah. I don't think I'm going to go because it's just too much. And I said, if you don't go, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. You know, get Absolutely. on a plane and go. Buy your business ticket. It's expensive, but lay down, sleep and go. And she said that was probably the only time she really agreed with me. In anything. <laughs> and it's still the case. <laughs> yeah, it's still the case was an example of what Piotr yeah. was saying it's so unpredictable one day you're in China that same evening she's got a course she's got into the Olympics fly over and play bonkers that is bonkers Piotr how do you uh, work out when you and Shelby have disagreements either around practice tournaments traveling etc who has the final say I always think player has a final say because it's not me who is going on the court and doing the work this is the most important and player is the most important part of the team I'm not going to say coaches and physios and fitness coaches are less important, but I'm saying player is the most important part of the team. And I love to call it that the players are individual individual athletes, individual, in individual sport, but we as a team, we are in the team sport. Mm. So, I, yeah, Mark, you want to? No, sorry, I wanted to jump on a point there because um, it's such an unusual dynamic that we have where... Yeah. The player hires the coach to tell them what to do. 
And it's such an awkward situation in many ways. And a couple of years ago in Strasbourg, uh, Arsene Wenger, who's a Premier League manager, for people that don't know, uh, for many years at Arsenal, and we spoke about this. He was in the lobby. I started talking to him for about half an hour. And he said, I asked him how he dealt with it. And he said, you know, I did X, Y, and Z, but it was, I don't know if I could have done what you guys do because I had all the power. If they didn't perform, if they had a bad attitude, they didn't play. They were subbed. They didn't get to start the game. I controlled wages, salaries, who I wanted to buy and sell. And so, Piotr, for me, my question for you on that point would be, the way I see it is Magda's the CEO. She's the owner of this ship. She owns this mm-hmm. boat. But I'm the captain. When we're in this, I am the captain. So, She's paying me to be the captain. Because so I would say for me, you, you're ship. calling her investor and you are the CEO. Uh, yeah, you could rephrase it in that way. But for me, she's the owner of the company. At any mm-hmm. time, she can hire and fire all of us. Yep. But once you've paid me to be your captain, then I'm going to drive and steer this ship. Now, it will ultimately be uh, the at the very, very end of the day is going to be down to her because she can so- just pull the plug on me at any point and say, well, you want to go there? Well, that's fine. You're fired. But re- on a day-to-day operational level... I have the final say. I decide mm-hmm. where we're going to practice, what we're going to do, who we're going to play. It's down to me. That's how yep. I have it in I this agree. situation here. I am the captain. Said, she's the owner. I, I agree exactly on what you said, but this is everyday upper, like logistical stuff, which we are hired to take care of. This is our job. But if, for example, we have a situation when they are in pain, we are not the one to decide because we don't feel that pain. So they have to decide. So they're the last resort of the decision. Of course, they're going to follow our decision because that's what they are paying for. But if they are not agreeing with the decision, we are only advisors. And it's not like if if your player doesn't agree with you, that directly means she has to fire you. She can disagree on one thing which is important for her. And it doesn't mean that we have to be how you call it when you don't feel good because somebody said something wrong to you, you know, like it's not offensive from there. Them. It's just, they took different decision and we shouldn't be feeling offended. Yeah. That's what I would call it. So I agree with you everyday decisions, practice, how long, what we do, how we do, uh, that's decision up to us. But then for example, even flying between countries, as we spoke about, that's, I give my advice. I would prefer to go on this date. You check flights or manager check flights. If I, if the flight on that day is reliable and is good and we can go, that's great. Let's do this. But if we have to take any other decision, for example, because you have something on your mind or the flights are too expensive on that, on that, on that certain day, I'm only there to advise you. I'm only there to give you the best solution I can find. With experience that you've got, yes. you're having to that's that you have to pick your battles as well, right? Because yes. you can't yeah. for me, I would always relinquish power or control or decision making on things like that. If she wants to fly a certain route or which hotel we stay in or where we go to dinner, that stuff is stuff I not that that doesn't yes. concern me. It's not a high priority. So I, yes. I prefer and it's it's 
been a process that's still in work, but I tried to allow her to have that control on those things. For me, the, the important nuts and bolts of what we do, scheduling, practices, match play, strategy, training physically, mentally, that stuff is where I feel like I really want to make sure I win those arguments in, 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 in quotation. I'm, I'm, I'm totally agreeing with you here. I'm just saying that for me, there are situations which we are not in charge anymore. And this is the situation, for example, I don't know, breaking up with a boyfriend of our player. Like we cannot plan it, we cannot control it, but we have to adapt to the situation. And this is the biggest, I think, and you're doing doing it great because you are on the tour. So you're already doing it without thinking about it. But what we do is adapting. And what we do is rescheduling. What we do is talking with them, finding good way to communicate stuff we want to achieve and what they want to achieve. And in the end, of course, on the court is us who is giving exercises. But if she asks you to do one exercise with the drop shot, would you say no? Oh, no, absolutely. I would not say no, but I would want to ensure that I have all of my things done. Done. So, yes. so I have my list every day of practice of the things yes. that are important to me. Uh-huh. Once those have been fulfilled, and that doesn't mean hers has to be at the end, yep. but I need no. my list of things will be achieved. Her things can then be added on, but I need to make sure because if my name is on this project, it, yes. if, if things go badly, it, it, it will be my fault, but that's okay as long as I was in control. I'm not willing to have my name on something that I don't have control over. That's my... my issue on that yeah i I agree i'm i'm more of course uh, everybody's a little bit different even as a coach i'm more sometimes i have something on my mind i have plan prepared but i even prepare in that plan time for a player i just schedule intensity i just schedule the volume and i say okay tell me what would you like to do and then it's for me it's not actually lack of my control it's even more controlled because I can find out what my player is interested in. So it's more about like, I agree with you that we are in control and everyday basics, we are coaches. So we navigate that ship, but even that word navigate doesn't fully mean steering because they are in the end, the hands which are going to steer it on the court, not that. It's always, it's always that question, isn't it? When you are, when you working with a player and their, their serve is poor for whatever reason. And you say, listen, the, the, you know, and you know it's because the toss is bad. You know, hey, Magda, you got to toss that ball more in front. Get that toss more in front. Or, you know, it looks good. I would advise or I would suggest to throw a little bit more in front of you. Right away, there's a change there in how you phrased it. One is an instruction and one is an, a suggestion or advice. And so often what I have found as I've got older is that they'll often tell you their problem on the court and their solution for it the answer as well they actually already have the answer they just don't always yeah. know it so if you let them speak enough and let them get it out mm-hmm. magda will you know sometimes actually say you know i'm not doing this very well and think it's because actually i need to do more of this and this okay then you've just done my work for me let's go facilitate that on the court you've both worked with players that are different nationalities both of you have worked with polish players and players from the usa the usa player just happens to be the same person i'd be interested to know how you have to adapt to the different ways that they think because of course they've grown up in completely different cultures and countries piotr perhaps you start on this one i would say that's a big thing 
And I think that's pro like for me, it's still a process. Even lastly, I had a conversation with Shelby about how I communicate stuff. And she told me that I was rude for half of the year for her. <laughs> and I didn't change anything. She said, you didn't change, you changed nothing. But I realized you are just direct. You are not trying to use too many words to say what you mean and what you feel. You expect honesty and that's what you give. So this is something she said, like, I felt like you are rude to me. She admitted right now. And this is something which is really important because every culture is different. I, had a, I have a friend who actually works at Canadian Association of Sailing, actually. And he said to me, first thing, if you work with North American athletes, ask a lot of questions, which is not a case like you, Mark, said in Poland, because in Poland, like here in U.S., everybody calls you by the name. In Poland, there is no way that your athlete going to call you by with calling your name. They're going to always say coach, coach. And this is doesn't matter what the age difference is. It's always coach. It's like, sir, it's mm. the same way in Poland. So it makes things way, way different. And I think it's an, another skill which good coach will have and will try to adapt. I'm not saying everyone can work with everybody. It's impossible. But on the other hand, that's a lot of good effort to do this. Yeah, I, I agree with Piotr on that last point, especially I think that's a really true point. I think a lot of the times for me, I worked in China and I realized how diminished my value was as a coach by not speaking the language and not knowing and understanding their culture with the one child policy there, every kid has two parents and four grandparents, right? So you have six adults looking after each kid. So they're spoiled in many ways. I learned the, the, the words, even you're explaining somebody to hit the ball faster, but faster means something completely different. The right word for them in that moment was harder. And just that difference in word gave a completely different picture of what I wanted. And the two big things I try to use when I'm coaching, Magda will probably tell you I don't, but the two big things are I coach with metaphors a lot. I think they're a really useful tool and humor. And yeah. they're very, very important tools. And they're two things that are lost when you're working with players from different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds, whatever. So I think for me, that's two things there that are really difficult and you have to adapt and you have to simplify things more but definitely I coach in China I was not as valuable because I didn't speak their language and I didn't know them and how they thought even I understand English I don't use the same sayings as you are and even those like for me what you said about cues it's really important because if you use metaphors it's outside cues always always it's never in inside for a player, it's never technical. It's more about like even how to, uh, I don't know, drive through your hips. It's mm. like uh, using different language, like try to aim even to the to the skies, like stuff like that. It's always outside, and I feel this those are the best cues you can get. Even as me as a player, if my coach is telling me to bend my elbow like that, like it never worked. 
it's, it's like it never worked in my life. But mm. if my coach said, aim with your elbow to the ground or like use some outside gear, it always worked. And if you don't have this background, which is cultural, which is language, which is like understanding what the other person is feeling, this is really difficult. And do you think there's a big difference between coaching men and women? I coach a couple of um, 14-year-olds, a boy and a girl that are pretty pretty high standard in Great Britain. And there's a huge difference uh, to me, even at under 14, how you treat and how you talk to the individuals. For me, I would say, I wouldn't consider age. I would say how mature they are and what kind of person they are. Because I had an... I wouldn't call it professional athlete, but athlete, 12 years old girl who was like mature person. She had to organize everything in her life and she was that kind of person who could handle it. And I, I practiced with boys even last week mm-hmm. who are 20 years old and they behave like kids. So I wouldn't put it in a way men or women. I would put as a personalities of of actual human being. Because I didn't work at ATP level with, with men, but even with juniors, even like this week I was uh, in my hometown and they had a league match yesterday. Uh, one in seventh match decider, mixed doubles, you know, like tight match, really tight match. And boys are not different than the girls in coaching, there are differences in behaviors, mm. of course. And we know like it's just different different type of work. It's different, you know, emotion emotion controls. But come on, some of those boys are kids and some of those girls are super mature. We never know. Every person is different. But Candy, your main question there was the difference between girls and boys, right? Not that different yeah. ages, just between girls versus yeah. boys. Yeah, and I'm interested mostly because, of course, you're young men coaching young women. And it must be quite a tricky dynamic because I could say this as females, we are more emotional on court, generally speaking, not always. But uh, there's a lot that can go wrong. Either you have an argument with a boyfriend or a coach or you know, you get a bad tweet, something on social media, and I think it affects women a lot more than it does men. So I always wonder about male coaches, how they understand what the female is thinking. For me, uh, there's actually a, a big difference in coaching boys and girls or men and women, I think. Um, I think, and again, I, I, maybe we discussed this in the past, Kenny, but typically for me, um, girls often play for somebody else a father, a mother, a boyfriend, a husband, the men play more for themselves. Girls prefer um, structured practices. Men prefer more unstructured practices. Women like to get in their comfort zone a lot during a practice. Men like to get out of their comfort zone a lot during practice. I think that the men typically compete unconditionally. The women compete conditionally. I think you you tend to have to drive men a little bit more, but lead women. I, I, for me, there's a lot of differences in their behavior and the way that you have to approach them. Um, but for me as a coach on a court, I definitely think the biggest thing is that the men are the more, the ones that are going to compete for themselves. I always felt like a guy could have had a fight with his girlfriend the night before, failed a test in the morning, crashed his car in the afternoon and could still show up and play the match and want to beat the hell out of the other guy. 
I don't know if I can say that about women. Now that's a generalization because there's plenty of men that don't can't do that and there's plenty of women that can. I think it's unlikely for a woman to be able to recover after all that. <laughs> I don't want to say it out loud, but with this new generation <laughs> it's Maybe getting less closer. So on the men's side. <laughs> I, I think that, that, you know, the thing is, is that me and you are both working with players now that are, I don't want to say at the ends, but they're older, right? They're veterans. So maybe the newer generation is getting um, more sort of difficult to deal with in that um, in that respect, because I think the boys are also, you know, it's, it's, things have changed a lot now. But, with, but on the court, I do think that um, there, there's a big difference in how I would approach coaching a, a boy versus a girl. Piotr, do you see yourself at some point moving on to the ATP tour? Uh, I would love to be a coach. So I would love to be trying everything, to improve in everything, because I think there is there are lessons to learn there too. And probably even more valuable right now for me because I have already experience in WTA tour. So I worked a lot with women. So right now uh, there is a lot of space I didn't cover in men tennis. So... Yes, of course, but that's even I would say, uh, you know, like going and seeing how other disciplines and like other sports are structured and like how other coaches work. I think it's exactly the same. I would love to go and see and try and be there in the process. I'm not saying I have to be the one who is taking decisions, but I would love to learn. And this is the most important for me. I feel like every everyone is different. Men and women, of course, different kind of, like Mark said, I agree with that, structurized or unstructurized practice. Like men can go for three hours and practice drop shot and have a great discussions. And I can't see women doing that for three hours because it's waste of time. And I agree, but, but, but yeah, it's different. But I would love to try everything and I would like to learn from it. I don't feel that the greatest coaches would, feel the different if they feel that the athlete is worth it they would go and make them the best players they can be yeah, i agree mark would you say yes to that would you go to the atp uh, tour yeah I, I i i think my answer would be almost identical to piotr i think i'm, I'm a tennis coach i'm not a wta tennis mm. coach i'm a tennis coach i coach juniors i i've i've had some of the most fun moments coaching country clubs ladies clinics men's doubles nights um Ten, I, I, I st one memory I have is 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 working with a kid at an academy here in Florida, and he he could not understand and grasp how to hit topspin on his forehand, and he'd spent hours and hours doing this. And his mum had asked me for a lesson. He came over, and we got it, you know, pretty quickly. Probably through more luck than anything. But the excitement that he had when he figured that out, and he he told me years later, uh, I remember that moment so clearly and so do i it was so distinct for both of us because it was this this joy that he had and you know i i take as much or more pleasure out of that than going and working or watching magda win a, a match that's great but they're all you know valuable mm. okay well let's leave the discussion where we are but uh, it's been very insightful as far as i'm concerned i hope you've both enjoyed it piotr shespatowski and mark gellard thanks very much for being on diary of a professional tennis coach thank you Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for listening to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. I hope you enjoyed the lively discussion between Mark and Piotr. I thought it was absolutely fascinating to get their thoughts on a variety of subjects. And don't forget, uh, we'd love your questions put to Mark for, for next week's podcast.
And you can find us on Twitter. D-O-A-P-T-C is the Twitter handle, Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. Thanks very much for listening. See you next time. <laughs>